This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Hello, good afternoon. Glad you're here with us today, Mount Carmel Christian Church. If you are new to this gathering and have no clue who I am, I'm Dee Dee Bacon. And I'm thrilled that you've chosen to join us today at our gathering, a time in which uh, we uh, come together to really uh, be open to what God has to tell us, has to speak to us, come together to do what God has called us to do as those who have uh, been made right with Him through faith. It's transition time, as Rick mentioned. High school ministry will be starting up Next Sunday, uh, elementary ministry is up on uh, a way, which means school has begun. And hopefully in your family, if you have kids, whether they be uh, little ones or college age, uh, hopefully your family's adjusting well and doing well. My family, uh, we went from a house full, which happens in the summer. I had my mom and my niece with us as well, two boys back from college, uh, kids in and out. One got married. Uh, you know, it's just been insane. And then over the last two weeks, uh, everyone vacated, and it's now quiet. I just got one, one girl with me and uh, our dog, Zeke, and Shannon, and that's it. And it's blissfully peaceful <laughs> uh, to some degree. One of the things that we did, we moved my son, Christian, uh, back up to Mount Vernon. He's going to pursue some grad studies up there. And uh, we moved him into his apartment. And I ran into an individual that you're like, this is crazy. To meet someone like this in a place like Mount Vernon is, is, is unusual. But my son's landlord's a man named Dan. And when he started talking, I figured out, I would try to be clever, I figured out I, I knew his accent. And he was talking, you know, and I'm like, Oh, so from where in Australia are you from? Thinking I'm pretty good at this. And he looked at me and said, oh, I'm not Australian. I'm like, what? Oh, I'm from New Zealand. I'm like, oh, oh, that's bad. I miss that. You know, I, I, I kind of guess I get the feeling when people ask me, are you from Boston? I'm like, ah, no, way south and east, Zimbabwe, Africa, that's where I'm from. So I got talking to Dan from New Zealand, a Kiwi. They know, they're known as Kiwis. And of course, when you talk to anyone from New Zealand, inevitably you're going to talk to them about rugby. That's the national pastime, rugby. And the, their team are called the All Blacks. And the All Blacks are the best in the world. Year after year, the team from New Zealand playing rugby union, not rugby league. Those of you that are rugby aficionados may know the difference. But they're typically the best team in the world, the All Blacks. And one of the things the All Blacks do before they start a game, every time they start a game, they do a Maori war dance. New Zealand was once first settled by Maoris. That's their heritage. Maoris are Polynesian folks that settled there many years ago, and they did these war dances before they went into war, or you know, now the All Blacks do that before they go into war playing rugby. And it's quite a spectacle. If you haven't seen that, let me, let me share with you. This is a video of the All Blacks that are about to play the World Cup final to be champions of the world in rugby, and they're about to play France, and it begins with them doing something called the Haka, which is their war dance. Check this out. Those are some big dudes. Just waiting for the French to peel off the tracksuits, stand in front of them, and receive the challenge of the Haka. 
That's the French team in white, trying to be brave. Challenge has been received by the French. Stand by the Rugby World Cup final. That's just crazy, man, isn't it? So uh, I, I was down in my basement and I was playing that because I had it on the speaker and I was playing that. And of course, you know, the, they're doing a thing and my son comes flying down the stairs without a shirt and he's like, oh, you know, doing that. It just gets you pumped up. So the first time I saw a team do the hockey, I was playing field hockey for my school, high school, and uh, there was a touring. A New Zealand team, and we're all getting prepped, and they're on their side, we're on our side, and they get into this, this triangle formation, they start doing this, and we're like, what? what? What's going on? I'm like, yeah, this is weird. And, uh, and so then we ended up gathering in a little, in a circle, like, eh, I'm not sure what to do, you know, yeah, like, what's, what's happening? And I'm like, I, I think we know the intention. We don't understand what they're saying, but I think they want to kill us. Uh, <laughs> And I don't think we need to do that. And so we had quite a game. It was a battle. It was, it was a tough game. We, I think we tied 1-1. Uh, but man, the Hakka, crazy. You're probably thinking, okay, all right, let's see where he goes with this when it has to do with church. The Hakka and church, how does that work? Well, you know, the Hakka is a world dance that ha contains elements that I think is really found in all cultures. Cultures that gather together, if they have a war dance, they have a war cry, they have a, a ritual that they engage in, this has similar elements. Uh, teams have their, their, their rituals that they do in order to prepare them for the game. I think about the haka, and I think there are three things that happen here. First of all, the haka is an activity that promotes unity, right? Only the all blacks do the haka. Only those who are singing as individuals as one voice and reminded that we are one team and we're one unit and we're about one purpose. Uh, the haka is an activity that promotes unity. The haka also is inspiring. I mean, I don't know about you. Every time I see that, I'm like, 
I mean, it gets me, like, pumped up. I mean, that's, that's just some crazy stuff. And when they start doing their things, their supporter goes nuts, and, and, and they start getting their, bump, their, their blood pumping and their, and, and their focus on because they're about to go to war, right? They're about to go at it in the game, whatever it is, and they get pumped up. And so not only is it unifying, but it's inspiring. Gets the heart plumping and the... And, and, and the emotions up, ready to do what you need to do. And then thirdly, thirdly, because I've got unify and I've got uh, edify, so I'm going to have to figure out something that matches. Well, the haka is an activity that clarifies. Unify, edify, and clarify. It, edify, it clarifies in that it's a communication of a message, right? It's in a message of intent. This is what we're doing, and we're going to do, we're intending to do some stuff. This is our message. This is who we are, and this is what we're all about. It's, it's, it's unifying and edifying and, and clarifying. Now, if you look into the Bible, uh, you will notice that Jesus establish the church. And the church is not the building, right? The church is a community of individuals who have chosen to come together and in our situation, come together in a local, in a, in a, in a agreed-upon locale. For us, it's right here at Mount Carmel Christian Church. A ch- group of individuals who have come together And we're called to come together for these same purposes. We come together so that we might be one, we might unify. We come together regularly so that we might edify, build each other up. The Bible plainly says, uh, let us consider ways when we gather. Do not forsake the gathering, he says, but instead consider ways, think about ways, be creative in ways, commit yourself to ways in which you can build each other up in love and good deeds. So we we're called to gather together to edify, and we're called to gather for clarification. We're called to, to, to clarify the message that we uh, need to understand. That's what teaching's all about. We're called to clarify and be reminded of the mission that we're called to, to be following as we, we seek to follow Jesus together as the church. And so when we gather together, whether it be Sunday or even other groups, but Typically on Sunday, when we gather together, we gather for the purpose of of unification, unify, edify, clarify. And we engage as a community in activities that promote these things. Why do we sing together? Well, we sing songs that bring us together, many voices, one song. We sing words of truth that come from the Bible and we clarify exactly what our mission is when we, when we sing. When we take up an offering, many folks give into one offering. We have the individuals sacrificing in giving their finances that are collected in one offering that then goes to the one purpose that we've all agreed upon to serve God in our community, fulfill the mission that Jesus gives to us. We, we unify, edify, and clarify. Now, today I want to take this opportunity to talk about something that Jesus established for the church to do that is one of those activities that unify, edify, and clarify, and I'm talking about communion or the Lord's Supper for those folks that came from, from high church Catholic backgrounds, the Eucharist, time in which we 
take bread and take a cup of juice. And we do it in a manner that is reflective, is in obedience to what Jesus asked his followers to do. You know, at Mount Carmel, we take communion every week. And people ask, why is that? And simply, first of all, we do it because Jesus is the one that asks us to do it. On the night he was betrayed, the Thursday night before he was, uh, that night he was arrested, and then Friday he was, he was uh, you know, put trialed and executed on the cross and put in the tomb and then resurrected on Sunday. But that Thursday night, he, he took the celebration of the Passover and he took elements of that and established a new thing for his followers to do. And that's called communion. And Jesus asked us to do this in remembrance of him. And so we are a church that's committed to being Jesus' followers. And if Jesus asks us to do it, whenever we gather, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do communion. We also do it every week, and, and the reason we do it every week is because we're also a church that has committed ourselves to follow the practices of the New Testament. In other words, what we see written in the New Testament is what we strive to live out today. We strive to apply the principles and practices of church in the New Testament today in 2019 in America here in the east side of Cincinnati. And one of the things you see in the early church, one of their practices, we're told, is that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread is another way of saying they took communion together. You also notice that they made it a commitment to gather at least once a week. And the day they chose to gather was the first day of the week to, to remember that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. But they gathered at least once a week to worship together, to unify, edify, and clarify and when they gathered, they took communion together. In fact, we have a passage where uh, Luke is explaining what they did in a, in a certain city, and he and Paul says they, they met on the first day of the week and broke bread together. And so what we see is with confidence, we can say, well, the church in the New Testament every week gathered to take communion together. That's their practice. And if that's their practice, and we're a church that's committed to following the New Testament pattern, then we will do that as well. Now, there are folks that join us and say, you know, uh, from my tradition and from my experience, we used to do communion once a month, once a quarter. And, you know, doing it every week, doesn't it take away from the specialness of communion? And I guess I could see that to some degree, something you do over and over, you kind of lose track of what it means, it becomes just something that's done without thinking. I can get that, but let's flip that around a little bit. And I say, let's consider this. Imagine me telling my wife, Shannon, honey, in order to really make this special, I'm only going to tell you I love you once a quarter. It's not going to work, is it? I tell my wife I love her as many times as I can. The regularity doesn't diminish the sincerity what diminishes the sincerity is when I do it mindlessly without thinking, without really considering what I'm saying. And so we as a church strive to make communion something that's significant as part of our worship. Why? Because Jesus asked us to do it. It's a New Testament pattern. And I want to tell, I want us to tell God that we love him as many times as we can together. Why? Because it unifies us, it edifies us, and it clarifies what we're all about. Now, we have a passage of Scripture where 
one of the apostles and Paul gives some depth and teaching regarding communion that I think will be helpful for us as we go through this time together that, that will perhaps bring up some depth and contents as to communion and, and how we need to approach it as individuals and then how it is church. And the teaching comes from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to a church that he had spent a lot of time working to get started. In fact, he put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in establishing this church. It was a church that was hard work for him in the beginning, and as it turns out, as the church started to grow, it was even more hard work uh, keeping them on the straight and narrow. This church had a lot of problems, and one of the big problems was how they were gathering to worship. One of the big problems was the practices that they had begun that went counter to what God had called them to do through Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this in verse 17, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. So he's like, okay, let me get to it. Here's some problems that I have, and uh, I'm going to basically take you to the woodshed on this one. Because you come together not for the better, for the worse. Uh, what's the purpose of coming together then? It's for the better. It's for the benefit. For what? Unification, edification, right? Clarification of who we are and what we're about. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, for there must, be, must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. He basically says, I'm hearing that you're gathering, and in your gathering, it's showing that there are divisions amongst you. You're not gathering as one body. In fact, you're gathering in different factions and parties, and, and groups are against other groups, and things are getting nasty in the way you're doing things. And he says, you know, this is happening to show who has really submitted themselves to Christ. This is showing who has made the commitment to submit themselves to following the Holy Spirit in their life. Those that have promote unity. Those that do not are stepping out of line. They are being disobedient, and they need to be brought back into line. He then, then points out one of the practices. There are a number that he, he will deal with in his letter, but he points out to one of the practices that is evidence of their state of division, their state of infighting, their state of being gathered in a way that is not a blessing. It's not lifting people up. In fact, it's tearing people down and not honoring God at all. He says, therefore, when you meet together, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? Here we go. So the purpose of meeting, why? Is take the Lord's Supper together. For you, in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. So you gather together, and someone eats and starts participating and taking the bread and the, and the wine on their own, by their own agenda, in their own way. And one is hungry and another is drunk. So they're eating to, the, to, get to, to help their hunger, and they're also drinking to the extent that they're getting drunk. This is getting crazy in their gathering. What, he says? Do you not have houses in which you eat, to eat and drink? The purpose of coming to church is not to feast on the bread and the wine. Do that at home. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. And then he will go back to the beginning, and he will say, look, let's get back to the basics. Let me remind you of what communion is to be all about, what the Lord's Supper is to be all about. He'll say this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. 
that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. If you want to read all about that, go back to the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, good accounts of that, Mark has that, but he'll talk about the, the Last Supper, the night in which he was betrayed, when Jesus established the practice of, of communion, Lord's Supper. The night he was betrayed, he, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord." See, Paul here reminds them that the practice of taking the Lord's Supper, communion, is this. It is an activity that unifies and it's an activity that, that, that edifies. It's intended to lift everyone up, to honor the name of Christ, and to, to bless one another. And it's an activity that clarifies, it proclaims a message. It, it communicates something clear about God and His work. Communion is an activity that unifies and edifies our church family. Communion is an activity that unifies and edifies our church. If you are a member or you have committed yourself to this community of faith, when you take communion, you are affirming the things that tie us together. And first and foremost is the belief that Jesus came into the world. He was both God and he was both man. As man, he could represent humanity. As God, the value of his life was equal to the cost every one of us is due to pay because of our sins, eternity. And that when Jesus died on the cross for us, he laid down his life on our behalf, a man representing humanity, giving up his life to pay the cost for those who did not deserve it, did not earn it, but instead all blessed with it by grace, or given this opportunity to receive it by faith. And so if we believe that Jesus is the Christ and that what He did for us on the cross is enough to pay, is true, can pay for our sins, we take communion, and it unifies us. It brings us together in the common belief that we have. And so we take the bread and we remember that Jesus died on the cross for us. And we take the juice, as he said, and we drink and we remember that Jesus established a way. That's what it means, a new covenant. The old covenant doesn't allow us to be right with God because it's based on works. It's based on performance. It's based on being perfect all the time. And none of us are able to do that. But the new way, the new covenant, is not based on us, but instead based on God's work through Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are now considered not guilty, even though we are guilty. And we're no longer held account to pay the price. Eternity, eternal life, separation from God, death. We don't have to pay the price because Jesus paid it for us. And our status changes from one who is an enemy of God to one who is now a, a child of God. One who is filled with the Holy Spirit to live for God. And so when you take communion, these are the things that you are affirming, and we affirm them, every one of us, from our different backgrounds and our different places of living and our different life experiences and our different ages and our different, uh, you know, just perspectives. And every one of us come together and we affirm this is where we stand and this is what unites us, this common belief, and we take it together as one because communion is a unifying activity.
But it's also edifying. It's also designed to remind us that we're called to mission, and that mission is to love God and to love people. And Jesus said, if you love one another, then the world will know that I have been sent into the world. And if you practice love, that's the mission that will move you towards being open to sharing with others what God has, has done with us so that they too can join our family and be right with God as we are right with God and become brothers and sisters in this community of faith. And so communion is intended to edify. It's intended to lift up. You know what? I love it that we serve one another because it reminds us that church is about we, not so much about me. And because I have to inconvenience myself, perhaps getting up on my chair and passing the trays and serving another, it reminds me that I'm here as a member of the church to do what God has given me to do to lift someone else up. I love it that we ask you to wait in order for everyone to be served before we take. Why? Because it's an act of service. Those of you in front, you're going to wait in good manners and in honor for those in the back. Why? So that you can remind that, that church is about loving one another. And loving one another means sometimes we have to sacrifice patiently for one another. Communion is an opportunity to clarify exactly what we're about, the message we teach, and the purpose that we have that comes from what's witnessed for us in Scripture. Communion unifies and edifies our church family. And so our friends are at the back, and they're going to start coming down, and they're going to start passing the trays. We ask that if you are a believer, please take. If this means something to you in terms of faith, take. If, if you haven't made a faith commitment, I would ask that you can reconsider taking because you really haven't made that decision to say, I believe what, what this is. And we don't want to be exclusive in the sense make you feel bad, but what you want to know that, that this is probably not something for you, but can be for you if you would accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is for those of us who are in the family, but we want you to know that at our table is many spaces that are open for anyone who would believe. And, and if you're here for the first time or you're here and you're investigating claims of Jesus and you want to be right with God, then accept what Jesus provides. Be baptized so that you can come to the table and, and join us in celebrating this. If you have a young one with you, uh, you know, we leave it up to you, parents, guardians. You are the decision makers in that. You cover your child. But I would encourage you to, to consider uh, not having your child take. Why? So that you can take this as an opportunity to teach. There are no grandchildren in heaven, only children. And no one rides on the coattails of their parents into heaven. And so this decision is, is important for them to make. And if they are at the age where they can ask questions, you can provide a teaching opportunity to, to let them know what this means so that they too may make that faith decision on their own by grace through faith at baptism for good works. I'm going to ask that you hold, as I said, please hold the elements so that we might all be able to take it together. Why? Because this is an edifying moment in which we serve one another and reminded that we're called not only to love God, but we're called to love one another. And in loving one another, we fulfill what God has called us to do through Jesus. This is what Paul said for us to remember when we take communion.
He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Some ask, well, what does that mean, taking the cup in an unworthy manner? Well, in the context of this teaching, taking the cup in an unworthy manner is participating in communion in a state of division and rebellion. And if you are in a state in which you have someone within the church family or at a place where you're at odds with someone within your church family and you're sitting there and they're sitting there and you don't talk to each other and you haven't forgiven and dealt with it, then you don't need to take communion because you are disgracing what Christ has called us to do as one. Instead, how about reconcile, do the hard work of forgiveness, and then come together and take communion to celebrate your oneness. But we're going to take together. Let's take the bread. Let's remember that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink as often as you drink it in remembrance of me whenever you gather. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this moment, this moment that we engage in this very simple practice of eating a piece of bread and drinking from the cup. But it's simple, but so poignant. It's heavy, but so light. It's serious, but so ah, joy-filled. Because it speaks to what we believe who have taken it, that we believe that Jesus has provided a way for us to be right with God through, through faith, that we've received a gift of grace, a gift undeserved, and because of that, now we are children of God, able to fellowship with God, able to have access to the Spirit of God in our lives who resources us to live a manner that, that goes beyond ourselves to be pleasing to God. It's an opportunity for us also to, to be reminded of what you call us to do, to love one another to forgive the offenses we might have, to serve, to encourage, to uh, correct if we have to, to, to invest in the lives of those around us so that they may be blessed by the gifts that you give us to share with them. Lord, it reminds us that we're called to, to be a community that exists for the benefit of our non-members, those who are not part of this community, and those who are not sitting with us in this place, those who are not participating in communion with us. It reminds us that we're called to, to take the message of hope and life, the things that, that we have taken to be true and, and have transformed us and changed us and, and, and brought us to the point where we could say, I, I don't know how I could live it without knowing God. Lord, we pray that you give us opportunity to share, to invite, to, 
to bring these folks that you assign to us in our world, to bring them to know you because of our witness, our testimony, our sharing of just how good you have been to us. Guide us, help us, lead us, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord and Savior. Amen. A couple of our guys who have given themselves answer to the call to prayer ministry are coming forward, and they're going to be available up front to pray with you in person. If you ever want to talk to them about next steps of your spiritual walk, please let them both know. I want to say thank you for being with us. I hope that you have a great weekend. Enjoy time with family. Enjoy time just relaxing since you got the day off on Monday, hopefully. Also, I want to let you know that next week we start a new series. I'm excited by this series. We're going to go through a journey through quite a few books of the Old Testament. We're starting with the story of Ruth, four chapters about an amazing lady who was blessed by God and a grace that is mind-blowing. And so if you want to investigate that, I encourage you to look in your Bibles, the book of Ruth. It's right there after Joshua and Judges, right in there at that time. Have a look at that. Fantastic story. Be prepared for our, our, our uh, series that we go through the uh, next four weeks. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.